0: Welcome to Making Our Way Forward, a podcast where we share compelling life stories and learn from the experience of everyday entrepreneurs. At NACI, we celebrate diversity and invite you to join the conversation as we talk to entrepreneurs and leaders from all walks of life. We hope that by telling their stories, we bring you inspiration, empower you to take action, and ignite entrepreneurship in your community. Welcome to Making Our Way Forward podcast, we're coming to you from Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we're here with our partner organization, old friends and new friends, here to talk about entrepreneurship. So I am happy to introduce my guests, and they're going to begin talking a little bit about their background. I'm here with Dr. Jean Colson and Dr. Anthony Hancock. And I think I want to start with you, Jean. Uh, we were talking about this last night. Uh, you were the first person to call me when I took on the job at NACI. Uh, Six and a half years ago, and we've been collaborators ever since. So, thank you for joining us this morning. Let's begin. Tell us a little bit about your background for people that are tuning in around the country and around the world. Tell us about Gene Coulson. Where did it all begin?
1: Well, I've been in education since 1978. I was teaching entrepreneurship and marketing education in Virginia. Finished my master's degree at Virginia Tech, uh, moved to the State Department of Education in West Virginia, and I was there for 28 years. And during that entire time, I had different job duties, but entrepreneurship was always on my business card. It's something I've done all the way through. So I retired from the Department of Education in 2013. And toward the end of that year, ed came calling and said, we need an executive director. And we know you're retired and you have a background in entrepreneurship. You just seem to have all the qualifications. <laughs> and we've got this little part-time management thing for you.
0: Uh, part-time, right?
1: Part-time. <laughs> and, and I had never managed an association before. So I didn't know that there's no such thing as part-time. That's right. Um, so in 2000, January of 14, I... Uh, accepted the position of executive director of Entra Ed and um, always wondered why there was not at the time a very strong relationship with the community colleges. Mm-hmm. And just by chance, I read that NACI had had a change in leadership and you had been been uh, tapped and so as you said, I picked up the phone right away and said, I, I, we, I need to talk."
0: That's great. And we're going to dig into that because there's a story inside the story, the little uh, Russian nesting dolls, if you will. But to your left is uh, the uh, interim president, Anthony Hancock, that I met this morning. And he has a really interesting background from one of the community colleges that you speak about in West Virginia. Yep. So, Dr. Hancock, welcome. Would you share a little bit about your background and, and what brought you um, today to join us in Chattanooga and, and taking on a leadership role? Role in one of uh, West Virginia's finest community colleges.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. My story to um, Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, is a little different. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Um, my dad was a steel worker. I graduated from high school. I went to work in the steel mills, and I realized that um, you know, getting laid off, going back to work wasn't for me. Made a conscious choice to move to Texas. Um, in the early 80s, did odds-and-end jobs there actually, I had a high school diploma, didn't even think about college, or at least I, I attempted college a couple of times, but it wasn't in my <laughs> blood. So um, became a truck driver, did that whole truck driving thing, um, had a life-altering event in 1992, and was told that um, you need to go find your new career, You know, wife and two kids, and realized that um, I needed to continue to be the breadwinner of my household. So I walked down to the local community college and was looking at some brochures and looked at this thing called public administration. And then I went through the program in San Antonio College and got my associates, went and got my bachelor's degree and got my master's degree in San Antonio. And then um, you know I started working at the community college after my, my bachelor's degree. I'm um, at a local community college, and I've been in this business for 24 years now, um, came came this March. And so my path has always been in workforce education and career and technical education. And then I went through the ranks in Alamo Colleges in San Antonio mm-hmm. and Houston Community College and applied for a position in West Virginia, became their vice chancellor for um, community and technical colleges and spent some time in that particular job, and I was asked to be the um, interim president for Pierpont Community and Technical College. So my entire career has been in workforce education and entrepreneurship throughout my career.
0: I absolutely love that. And what Gene will know and, and his organization and NACI, we're always looking for interconnections. And interestingly enough, I grew up in Akron, Ohio. So I, too, went through mm-hmm. a public administration program at the University of Akron yeah. and was fascinated by steel mills and, and the way that they shut down right. and the, the impact it has on communities. So you and I are going to have to have a whole other conversation about <laughs> that. But I love the passion by which you you come to this because you can really relate um, to our community college students that are, you know, on average age, you know, 28 or yes. older. Um, yes. So, and I know Jean, um, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, um, really has a connection to the little ones and, um, you know, children in, in um, elementary, middle school and high school. And right. we see kind of the pipeline of, of where that goes. One of the things I, I love to talk to people about is really a person in your life that made a difference. Because I know with the three of us, although Jean and I are long-term friends, you and I are new friends, um, it's that desire to give back, right? In order to move forward, you you always have to be giving back to people. So I'm going to start with Jean and would love for you to share with our audience uh, a person or it could be a a couple of people that really have made a difference, um, not only in your professional life, but in your personal life who have made you the person that you are.
1: Frequently, the question about who has been your mentor sounds like it's a lifetime question. Who is the person in your life that's always had an effect on you? I don't find that I have that person, but I find that at different points in my life when there were where I really needed that helping hand and that advice, there was somebody there. Um, When I took over as Entre Ed Executive Director, I'd never been an association head before. And I have a friend that I had served on his board for a number of years, and he had been an exec for 30 years. And he's the one that reached out to me and and asked me to take the the job at Ed, And ever since then, when I've had a question or something to to wonder about, um, if there was something I wasn't sure which direction to go or how to handle, I always knew that, that Dr. Jim Gleason was on the other end of the phone, and um, I, I had a conversation here with him as I was driving down here to Chattanooga about an issue, um, and it just seems that at points in my life, I've had a number of mentors that gave me what I needed at that particular moment.
0: That's great. That's wonderful. And Anthony, Dr. Hancock, let's turn to you. How about people or a person in your life that was instrumental? You had such a great story of, of a career journey. Right.
2: So what um, Ed, I can resonate with what Ed is saying because there are people in my career, have been in my career and still are, that I can pick up the phone and I can call when I need someone to be very objective and very, and very straightforward with me. But there's one particular person um, who has really um, walked me through my event that happened in 92 and has been there for me consistently throughout my entire career who pushed me and pushed me and wouldn't let me settle for um, when we want to settle, when things get hard. And that's why community colleges is such a passion for me because this particular individual, Ms. Sylvia DeLeon, was my very first instructor in my introduction to public administration. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that she p- presented to us um, as college students, and non-traditional students for that matter, um, was accountability. right? And so when I look at this community college movement and how we have moved through the space of higher education, From my time as a student to now as the interim president, what I find is that accountability will almost always have institutions rise to their local communities and the things that they need to do in order to trans. In order to really engage in our community and how we operate as an institution, partnering with our universities. So Ms. DeLeon um, is the person, and I've always shared with her publicly, um, and she gets embarrassed if she hears this, because she, her position is, it's not about me, it's about all of us as her students, and we are thriving out in this community. Um, and so... uh she was the person and is the person. And she just called me two weeks ago and let me know that she's finally retiring. She's always been a program coordinator, never wanted to be anything else at the community college because it kept her into the classroom engaging with students who come through the institution. So she had the most effect on me throughout my personal life and my career.
3: That is
0: a beautiful story, and I'm sure Ms. De Leon is very proud of you. I, I can't even imagine what that feels like uh, for her. Um, one of the things you touched on is accountability, and we talk a lot about culture and trust and a word that keeps coming back, and I'd love for both of you to maybe give us um, your definition or an example of what this is, because I think whether you're um, holding an office as you are, um, integrity is such a key part of that. And, you know, in in days like today, sometimes um, people um, don't always lean into that because sometimes it's hard. And I would love it, Gene, maybe you could start and and talk about integrity as as a leader. What does that mean to you? How do you make sure that that you really hang on to that in, in the work that you do?
1: Well, I think integral to integrity is trust. And I feel like if I treat people in an open and trusting manner, and they feel like they can trust me, and we develop that relationship that, that I can trust what they say and that they will do what they say they'll do, and uh, I don't have to worry about things going on that shouldn't be going on. Um, I think the, the organization builds that integrity just from the trust of each other all the time. And that's what I, I tried to build in my twenty-eight years at the Department of Education. And I think it takes it takes a few um, failures at that mm-hmm. to really see how important it is to make it work with everybody else. Yeah, I mean, when I was at the department, there are a few times where that trust didn't got broken a little bit with, with different individuals. Um and so it just reinforced with me that, that building integrity and building trust with, with people you work with and allowing them to trust and uh, trust in your integrity um, makes decisions become easier, particularly when you're not there to help make that decision, that you have faith that the right decisions will
2: be made. Oh, thank you. So for mine, it's, it's, it goes back to um, – my earlier days in college and and I go back to this accountability and so throughout my career you know we in the community college movement there is one thing that we will always report um, if you talk to people who've been in this business for a while at the community college level and that we we are student-centric institutions right we're student-centric and so that then begs the question what the student-centric mean and so when I look at integrity and I look at accountability Um, For me, integrity entails making the hard decisions based on your values in higher education and how you deliver, you know, what you need to deliver to the students that you serve and the people that you serve in that community. You know, Gene is correct when we talk about trust, because if you violate that integrity, you're violating trust and people will, you know not follow you I had a mentor once told me that you can be the smartest person in the room you can have all the answers right but at the end of the day when you get up and walk out and you expect people to follow you right and you turn around and they're still sitting there you got a problem
3: (laughs) That's
1: right.
2: right and so that that entails one the integrity that we talk about people need to believe and follow they need to believe in your vision Right. So I don't set goals at my institution. People say, where's your goals, Dr. Hancock? I have no goals. I have a vision for the institution. And that vision is aligned with my personal integrity, my accountability to my constituents in the community and the people that I serve. So if I'm talking about being student centric, everything that I do within that institution and that construct is built around being student centric. And therefore, people know that when I say something, I believe it and I act on it because I'm results driven at the end of the day, I hold myself accountable therefore I'm holding you, the expectation is you will be held accountable. Then the other part of this integrity goes in line with institutional stewardship. We have to be good stewards of our institutions and what does that actually mean? So we have to have those intentional conversations about the stewardship of the institution as relates to financial stability, accountability to our constituents in our community, not just our students but our business leaders our K-12 sister institutions, our community organizations who are doing good work in the nonprofit sector, how do we have those intentional conversations about where our community needs to go based on the issues and challenges we are facing as a nation and as a community even in a post-pandemic environment. So it's integrity and accountability for me is non-negotiable because um, at the end of the day, if you're going to lead people, they have to trust you. right? That's- it's not about loyalty and it's not about that. It's about at the end of the day, it's my integrity based on my values and how I was raised, that I um um push out there into the general population so people know when I walk on campus every single day, they know what they're gonna get. They know who the person is walking on campus and what his value system is.
1: And Becky, I just something Doctor Hancock said just resonated with me, that he has a vision but not a whole lot of goals. That's right. And in in this last year and a half of a pandemic, if you've got a whole lot of goals, I think that <laughs> pandemic is just going to chuck them right in the garbage. Yes. yes. But it's your vision great. that will allow you to pivot and still do the important work, yes. maybe in a different way with different goals. That's great. I, I love that idea.
0: Yeah, and it's really what we're going to get into later today about entrepreneurial mindset and the leader that really embraces that. So you're not shying away from challenge. You know that when you're embracing and living in integrity and trust, there are going to be people that push up against that. So you have to be ready and you have to surround yourself with networks of people um, who can really help you to be your your best self. I talk about this in the NACI office sometimes, our aspirational culture, because we all have times where we're working on a project and things feel slightly out of alignment and and you don't know what that is and if you've built up trust with people and they feel that they can be honest with you and tell you you know listen this is off this is not you know we're not doing our best work it's you can even deepen the trust even more so there's so much there and and i appreciate that i'm going to have to go back and listen to this after we (laughs) broadcast it um one final thing, uh, is that we try to, um, really emphasize here on the Making Our Way Forward podcast is really the concept of hope. Because I think what you've talked about, Dr. Hancock, in terms of walking your campus and, and really focusing on students and, um, Gene's same work, whether he was working, um, in a state, in the state or whatnot, what would you say you're most hopeful about? And we'll start this time with you, Dr. Hancock. What gives you hope? We're not quite out of the woods with the pandemic as we record this, but um, things are maybe looking a little brighter.
2: What gives me hope is because at our institution, um, we are moving forward. That's our motto. Um, And what does moving forward look like? There is a newfound freedom on our institution um, where we're coming back full steam, you know, open campus in the fall. My executive team and I, we've had these intentional conversations with our Department of Health and Human Services in the state of West Virginia about, you know, we follow, we look at CDC, we look at all the experts, per se, in terms of social distancing, the pandemic, what does it look like, the Delta variant, all these things are out there. But we have to focus in on um, what our students need. And the conversations that we're having, you know, I was speaking with my vice president of student services um, last week, and we're down 8.5%, right? And so she had to look look on her face, because we know enrollment drives revenue, right? That's not my concern. That's not what I'm thinking about in terms of the institutional, um, when an institutional goes. It is about how do we have potential conversations with the students that we're we're serving when they come back on campus. How do we make them feel safe in that environment? For me, what's hopeful is that I have, we have an excellent team of caring individuals on our campus. The pandemic has sent us all into a tailspin, right? We've been locked up for over a year and a half and now we found this newfound freedom, but there's this fear behind this. So if we trust in the process, we trust ourselves to make the right decisions for the right reasons. What we'll find is that uh, we can have those conversations per se with naysayers about either wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or vaccine or not vaccine. For me, that's not even a conversation started with me. It's about being hopeful about having a safe environment for learning at our institution. And my executive team and I will sit there and have those intentional conversations with the people in our community and the healthcare providers in the state about what actually does that look like. And so I'm hopeful with the challenges that we still have that we will be intentional in how we operate. We will be empathetic about those who have a different view than we have and have those intentional conversations when we need to have them. And we will make sure that we put in um, guidelines for our institution that we all will follow and it's not so much let it take care of itself but we will be monitoring how we operate on our campus every single day we want people to be comfortable and feel safe um, because I shared this last week and I share today because we're down in our enrollment of 8.5% and the question was um, these are returning students so if you've gone through a life trauma right? Mm -hmm. Childcare, trying to find a job, et cetera, et cetera. Going to college is not on your radar as a priority, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have to give people time to heal. We have to give people time to accept what they've gone through because they may have lost a loved one during this pandemic. We don't know these things. So we just have to be much more empathetic and realistic about our institution and our nation's future,
0: It's beautiful and meet people where they are, right? Yes, yes. And and embrace the whole person. So, Gene, why don't you close us out on this episode of the podcast?
1: Well, I've spent a lot of time in my life looking at a term that's both popular and maybe overused now is the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Uh, When I go back in the history of EntreEd, my predecessor, uh, Dr. Kathy Ashmore, in the beginning was about advocating for entrepreneurship education at every level, at community colleges, at universities, at incubator levels, at community colleges, at K-12, everywhere. Um, now, I take her place fast forward about 33 or four years. Um, when I took over, we sat back and tried to look at the landscape a little bit and said, what should our role, is, should it still be the same or should it change? Well, in that 30 some years, NACI had been created, USASPI had been created, INBIA had been created. Many of the groups she worked with now had their own entrepreneurial association. Mm-hmm. And perhaps we didn't need to have as much of a connection to those groups because they were all serving themselves pretty well. But we looked and said there's still nobody advocating for K 12. Mm -hmm. So we decided to take that as our mission. And since then, this whole issue of entrepreneurship ecosystem building with state governments and, and federal agencies and all of them being involved, what I'm hopeful about is I look back 30 years when there was nobody talking about that. And today, we're all sort of beneficiaries of riding the wave. Because entrepreneurship, the importance of it in our economy, the importance of it coming back from a pandemic, um, and the role that entrepreneurship education can play are are not hard sells anymore. Uh, Sometimes people don't know how to do it, and they're looking for ways to do it. But is it important and should we do it is hardly even a question anymore. And that leaves me pretty hopeful about it.
0: I think that's a, a, a good thought to end on. Well, I want to thank you both for sharing your stories, for the work that you do. I feel honored that you're part of the <laughs> ecosystem and part of my life. Thank so, you,
1: Becky. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope that listening to this podcast will help you to explore the many ways we might define entrepreneurship. Join us every other Wednesday for more episodes as we celebrate opportunity, learn from one another, and grow together. Subscribe to this podcast, connect with us on social media, and learn more about today's speakers at nacy.com forward slash podcast. We look forward to making our way forward together with
3: you.
0: Have you heard about our latest book, Impact Ed? How Community College Entrepreneurship Creates Equity and Prosperity? This is our roadmap for building back better in 50 states and globally. In each chapter, we share the inspiring stories of everyday entrepreneurs and explain how community colleges play a crucial role in their success. Visit us at nacy.com slash to order your copy now and join us in this work.
3: Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication, titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership require us to lean in, anticipate and recognize trends,